Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and my co-host Joey couldn't make it today. Apparently, he got a modeling gig uh, doing a ad for hemorrhoid cream. He said it sounds kind of whack, but he said it's a great opportunity because he gets to do some acting. So instead of Joey, I'm here with Liesl. Liesl, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. And Liesl is here because we're going to talk about 10 things I hate about you. Okay, here's how we solve this one. Old rule out. New rule. Bianca can date. When she does. But she's a mutant. What if she never dates? Then you'll never date. Oh, I like that. And I'll get to sleep at night. The deep slumber of a father whose daughters aren't out being impregnated. We'll talk about Sarah Lawrence later. This is an American romantic comedy directed by Gil Younger. The cast includes the best Joker, Veronica from Silver Linings Playbook, Arthur from Inception, Alyssa Strudwick, Bernard the Elf, and Tommy Weber from Galaxy Quest. I watched this movie on YouTube for free. Liesl, how did you watch it? I watched this movie on Disney+. Plus. I was so surprised to find this movie for free on YouTube. And it does have ads, but... And I'm not saying I did this. But I'm also not denying that I did this. If you have an ad blocker, it's literally just watching a whole movie for free. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I highly recommend if you want to watch this movie, check it on YouTube for free. And before we begin our conversation on 10 Things I Hate About You, we are going to recap the events with a synopsis that I wrote with a little help from Liesl. Got to give credit where (laughs) credit is due. So let's go ahead and begin that. Cameron James is the new kid at Padua High School in Seattle. On his first day, he meets Michael Ekman, a geeky kid who is tasked with familiarizing Cameron with his new school. While Michael is showing Cameron around, Cameron lays eyes on Bianca Stratford and instantly falls in love. Michael warns him that Bianca is undateable, but Cameron isn't deterred. What Cameron doesn't know is that Bianca already has her sights set on Joey Donner, a senior and a model, but she can't date him yet because of her father's house rule. Bianca's father, Mr. Stratford, is an obstetrician that is very worried that his daughters will get impregnated, so he came up with a rule to prevent it. Bianca is not allowed to date until her older sister Kat starts dating. Kat is independent and standoffish, so Mr. Stratford knows that her dating someone is unlikely. Cameron asks Bianca out, and she informs him about her father's rule. She then suggests that he find someone to date her sister. Cameron thinks this is so he can date Bianca, but Bianca wants him to do this so that she can date Joey. Cameron and Michael team up to find a suitable boyfriend for Kat, and they decide Patrick Verona is their best bet. Patrick has a bad boy reputation and won't be easily scared off by Kat. When the duo try to enlist Patrick to do their bidding, he drills a hole into Cameron's French textbook as his reply. Michael says they need a backer. Someone with money who's stupid, and Joey Donner fits the bill. Michael is able to convince Joey to pay Patrick to go on a date with Kat. 
Joey thinks this is so that he can be with Bianca, but Michael is doing this so that Cameron can be with her. After Joey offers Patrick $30, Patrick goes to work trying to charm Kat. But it doesn't work, and Kat rejects him multiple times. Cameron and Michael go to Bianca to try to get information on Kat that might help Patrick. With this information, Patrick is able to get an in with Kat. He tells her he'll pick her up for an upcoming party. At the party, Cameron tries to spend some time with Bianca, but she blows him off so she can hang out with Joey. Kat sees Bianca with Joey and she gets upset. She decides to get violently drunk and she ends up dancing on a table before hitting her head on a light fixture and falling down, only to be caught by Patrick. Cameron is upset about Bianca, and he tries to tell Patrick that the whole scheme is off. Patrick gives him a quick pep talk before returning to taking care of drunk Cat. Bianca loses interest in Joey and asks Cameron for a ride home. Patrick gives Cat a ride home as well. When Patrick and Cat pull up to the Stratford house, Cat tries to kiss him, but Patrick rejects her kiss. Cat storms out of the car. Then Cameron and Bianca pull up to the house. Cameron reveals his true feelings to Bianca and expresses his frustration with how she treated him. Bianca then kisses Cameron before exiting the car. Joey offers Patrick big money to take Cat to the prom. Patrick initially turns him down, but takes the deal after Joey offers him even bigger money. Cat is still mad at Patrick for not kissing her, so he wins her back by serenading her in front of the whole gym class while being accompanied by the marching band. This gets him thrown in detention, but Cat is able to bust him out using her boobs. Patrick and Cat go on a date, and it goes really well. They start to open up to each other, but Cat gets suspicious and angry when Patrick pushes the issue on going to prom. Meanwhile, Bianca gets tired of waiting on Cameron to ask her to prom, so she accepts Joey's invitation, but Mr. Stratford won't let her go to prom unless Kat goes too. Kat and Bianca have a heart-to-heart, where Kat reveals that she dated Joey in ninth grade and she had sex with him as a result of peer pressure. She regretted it afterwards, and Joey dumped her. After that, she vowed never to do anything just because everyone else was doing it. Bianca tells Kat that she can make her own choices, so Kat agrees to go to the prom with Patrick and Bianca decides to go with Cameron instead of Joey. The prom is going really well until Joey shows up angry that Bianca went to prom with Cameron instead of him. He reveals the scheme he had with Patrick, causing Kat to leave with a broken heart. Joey also punches Cameron, but is then beaten up by Bianca in retaliation for hurting her, Kat, and Cameron. The next day, Bianca and Cameron decide to start dating. Kat gets into the college of her choice, and Mr. Stratford gives her permission to attend, satisfied that she is capable of taking care of herself. At school, Kat reads a poem called Ten Things I Hate About You, in which she reveals that she still loves Patrick. Patrick surprises her with a guitar that he bought using the money that Joey gave him, and the two make up and kiss. The end. 
So there we have it, the events of 10 Things I Hate About You. And uh, I'm so excited to talk to you about this, Liesl. We've both been kind of bottling up all of our thoughts on this episode. So it's time to finally let them out. We'll begin our conversation with our pros and our cons. What did you like about 10 Things I Hate About You? I love this movie. Um, I say that the plot was easy to follow, but it wasn't too simple. Obviously, all of the characters are intertwined, um, but they, the movie does a good job of introducing them. Um, they make each one memorable in their own right, and um, it definitely was interesting to watch and left you wanting more. I also love the music from this movie. It's definitely iconic. Um, each one is kind of a banger, and it uh, makes it upbeat and um, really fun to watch. And I also think the acting was incredible. I think for a lot of these actors and actresses, this was one of their first movies, and it was a breakout movie and made them you know, household names. And I think it did that for good reason. Um, I also think it wasn't too cheesy, even though it was a rom-com and it was a high school setting. Uh, it wasn't like laid on too thick and it was just serious enough. So I really, yeah, I enjoyed this movie. It's really fun to watch. I enjoyed it as well. I, I mean, it was just a lot of fun. It's so 90s <laughs> with, I mean, the wardrobe really smacked me in the face, but so did the music choices, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, which I think is great. It, it has kind of a nostalgic feeling for me. Uh, it's also um, a little bit juvenile, mm -hmm. but I kind of liked it i felt like it was tasteful like, there are parts of it where i was like yeah but for the most part i thought it was funny like i died laughing when uh michael drives his bike off the side of the parking lot down the hill and he lands he's like ow my balls <laughs> it's like that is so high school humor and uh, there's plenty of other stuff like that but it was just fun kind of low uh stakes mm -hmm. uh drama which is is great and i also really liked the cinematography in this movie mm -hmm. it was way more ambitious than i anticipated mm -hmm. and and I, I have a little section i want to talk about that a little bit later um the characters were definitely endearing. They all made me interested in them for different reasons. And the storylines were compelling. I liked how they weaved through each other, kind of like how you said. And it's funny. Mm -hmm. It's it's a, it's a rom-com. We actually just watched a rom-com last week with Palm Springs. And you can't have... You got to have the rom and the com. And this movie definitely had both. So I, I definitely enjoyed that. Now let's sw uh, switch over to the cons. What did you not like about this movie? I think I had to be pretty picky watching it this time, just since I grew up watching it so much and have always loved it. Uh, I think something that I struggle with is the there's a few moments in the movie that could have been hashed out just a bit more. Um, and I'm sure I'll talk about this later, but one example, the ending where Kat um, just completely takes Patrick back immediately. And also when Cameron and Bianca are in the car and Bianca just kisses him and then it's just kind of over. Like there's no conflict really after that. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, pushes the plot along and they kind of had to do that. But at the same time, it was almost like, dang, they were standing for something and they're just going to be swept up by these, you know, knights in shining armor. Um, but again, at the same time, I really like the movie. And I think that that's a very nitpicky thing that I felt like I needed to just put out there. Sure. Uh, yeah, I won't say that the changes in the characters were 
unearned because mm-hmm. I think they do a lot to develop the characters and especially with Kat and Bianca and Patrick, really everybody has their kind of journey they go on, but sometimes it can feel pretty abrupt mm-hmm. when they change their mind about something. And I agree. One for me is when Bianca loses interest in Joey at the party. And it's clear that the whole point there is like, he's all talking about his modeling stuff and he just keeps going on and on about it. And it's clear that Bianca isn't really interested in talking about that. And then he kind of like turns to the crowd and he's like, you guys check out my posing. Mm-hmm. But that's who he's been this whole time. It's interesting. Like I, I would have liked to have seen something that goes beyond kind of the public facing Joey. Cause it seemed like he, she actually did like who Joey was in public and he wasn't acting any different with her. It would be interesting if maybe it was something where he was pressuring her to do something she didn't want to do, or maybe he did something mean or any other thing that kind of adds on to who he is and adds to Bianca's understanding of who he is. Instead, she's like, Oh, he's just a self-absorbed airhead. Let me, you know, that's, that's, I'm bored with this, but that's who he's been. So I, I didn't, it, while I think it works, I, I thought that there could have been something more there. I also was a little disappointed with the character development for Mandela yes. because she <laughs> exists so that Michael can have a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And this is such a uh, like roll my eyes trope that all the characters have to get a girlfriend at the end of the movie. And she definitely, well, okay. She's also there as kind of like a tip of the hat to William Shakespeare. And we'll mm-hmm. get into why that's important. But it's also so ham-fisted the, or, or, like, to get her in there is like i was cat's best friend this whole time mm-hmm. i was in the car with her at the beginning of the movie then you didn't see me ever again until we get to the part where it's really about her going out with michael mm-hmm. so i thought that that was it's like okay you did you gave so much care to these other characters why is mandela barely getting anything yeah and then also this one is more of a cheeky like con <laughs> but there wasn't enough Mrs. Perky. I loved <laughs> Mrs. Perky. I wanted to see her more. I would have loved to see her being a chaperone at prom mm-hmm. or just continuing to talk to the students because she had such quick kind of like unexpected exchanges with the students where she was much more real with them, you know? And and I would have liked to see her again. I'm rewriting the movie at this point. We didn't have <laughs> to have more Mrs. Perky but or Miss Perky. But I like the way that she got so much attention at the beginning, I was kind of expecting her to be a bit more of a recurring thing. And I liked her enough that I maybe I'm just wishing she was more of a recurring thing. But uh, I would have liked to have seen more of her. So there's our pros and our cons. Let's move on to our overall section. And we always ask this question of our guests. Uh, you could have picked any movie to talk about on Affable Chat. Why did you pick this movie? Mainly I picked it because it's very nostalgic for me. We've also talked about a few movies that we'd want to do a podcast together on and I don't know why this one stuck out that much but I watched it a lot growing up and it's it was very relatable during every like step of the way during puberty as I was growing up I could relate to different characters while you know going through different stages of life Um, I'm also like 99% sure my mom introduced me to this movie and me and my mom are like best friends and I love the fact that she found it really relatable and still does find it relatable Um, I think it aged well And um, another reason I like the fact that my mom introduced me to it is that my mom is now more relatable to me. (laughs) Sure. Um, And in my opinion, I think this is one of the best rom-com or like coming of age stories out there. I think it really does a good job of encapsulating what puberty is and all the pressures of being in high school. 
as well as the difficulties of relationships, you know, friendships, sisters, um, mom or dad to daughter relationship, you know, not just romantic relationships, but also including romantic relationships. Um, I think it's also able to achieve this without being too cheesy. Um, and it also did the serious scenes justice while still having the lightheartedness that a comedy demands. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. And just going back to kind of why we, because you've been pitching many movies to me about mm-hmm. which ones we should do. And this one kind of caught my eye because of the actors and how it was such an important role. I mean, I have not seen enough Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. Uh, my introduction to him was Batman. So to see him younger, to see him playing such a likable guy is is really interesting. And uh, I do think this movie is it like has its place as far as like uh, cultural uh, importance. It's really surprising to me that Gil Younger didn't direct really anything else after this. He directed one other movie that is like a released in theaters movie called Black Knight and starring Martin Lawrence. I, I don't know. I've never seen it. And then every other movie he's done since, and he's still making movies, but uh, has been a like television movie, mm. which surprises me because this feels like the type of movie that would get people to say, we need this guy to do more stuff. You know, look at what he did with Joseph Gordon-Levitt right. and um, all these other actors. So, I thought I think it's a very interesting pick, and I'm mm-hmm. and I'm glad that I've seen it. So you talked about your mom recommending this movie to you. Um, like what? How how does this movie kind of speak to you personally? Like in that kind of area. So I am the middle child of two sisters. So I not only feel like Cat as the older sister to my younger sister, but I also feel like Bianca as the younger sister to my older sister. Um, so I definitely get. Both of those relationships kind of intertwined in my own life, and I relate with both of them on different levels. So it's kind of cool to see myself in the characters um, on the big screen. And another big reason is like high school was difficult. It was a very hard part of life. I grew a lot through it, but it was it. There were days where I woke up and I didn't know if I was going to make it through. And so the struggles that the characters face throughout the movie, while sometimes they can be exaggerated, um, they were very real. Uh, I think that they touched on a lot of different aspects of high school that pretty much everybody can relate to at least one or two of them. And again, like I said earlier, there's a lot of coming of age movies, but this one was one that just really stuck out to me. Um, And I can, I feel like I can put it on at any time. It's like, my comfort movie. Uh-huh. And um, the characters, even the background characters, have relatable arcs and also they're shown throughout the movie growing, um, aside from obviously Mandela and like Joey. <laughs> but um, <laughs> again, I think it does a good job balancing everything and it doesn't really give me secondhand embarrassment, which I do get watching pretty much any other rom-com or um, coming-of-age movie. So I did really relate to all of those things. Yeah, and I I agree with that. It was definitely like this movie spends a lot more time on kind of the conflict. I feel like the problems in these relationships than kind of gratuitously enjoying the oh we're in love. And when they do get to that, it feels earned. I I mean yeah, the biggest like rom part or like the romantic part of this movie I felt like was the date between Cat and Patrick Mm -hmm. when. 
they go paddle boating, which is super romantic. And then they go play paintball, which I've never seen paintballs that you throw with your hands. No, but I want to do it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) The thing, I mean, don't get me wrong. Paintball is like cool or whatever. Mm -hmm. And people go out there with their guns and they're shooting at each other. And and that's cool. But I don't want to get like huge welts on my body sometimes. Yeah, that's the main reason I've never even gone paintballing yeah. because I don't want to have bruises all over my body or like have the possibility of I don't know an eye injury yes like, and well and also I'm just not like a warlord or anything it's right. hyper competitive so <laughs> this does seem like the date version of it so much more and it was I don't know it because the other thing too is by picking such a unique date it is memorable right you're gonna th- like if I ever see that I'll be like oh my gosh this is exactly like 10 things I hate about you mm-hmm. and then when they're playing around and being all cute together, it just felt right. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I thought like they balanced that well to get to get you so you don't feel overwhelmed mm-hmm. by the lovey doveyness of a rom com. You got to have it, mm-hmm. but I think using the right amount of it um, because there w- there are so many times where everything seems to be falling apart for these relationships where it's like oh my gosh they're making progress oh no but then you know this happened and now now cat's throwing up on his feet and and they <laughs> now will they even will he even still want to be with her so uh yeah i i i liked that a lot as well and i did see a lot of my own life kind of in this but what at this point watching a rom-com about high school is so different because like going back to this idea of low stakes I feel like while, yes, it feels massively important to you in high school, you know, going forward, I'm like, this is not all that consequential. Uh, obviously, it's it's important to grow up and horrible things can happen to you as a result of bad choices in high school. I'm not saying that, but it also is something where I'm not too worried if my man Michael doesn't have a date to prom. I'm not too worried about Cameron potentially not ending up with Bianca because there's way more to life than just high school. Um, and I also think that that does a lot to keep the stakes low. So it's, you don't get too uh, anxious about the things that are going on in this movie. Um, okay, so let's talk more about the actual substance of the film. What themes are present that speak to you? Uh, yeah, one of the major themes throughout the movie is Kat's kind of um, avoidance of fitting in. And pushing you to be who you want to be is such a like timeless theme that's true for people who are not in high school, true for us, true for my mom, true for you know, anybody who's ever seen this movie, which I think is why it is such a good um, movie in general. Um, and of course, it's a good uh setting to have it in high school because there is so much societal and peer pressure coming at you to try and fit in and that's when everybody's going through puberty at different rates um and so it definitely exaggerates that uh need to fit in and and pushes that um want to be who you are um yeah being who you are as well as resisting peer pressure right yeah. which those things go hand in hand but i think the way that they show cat in this film really puts that in a way that's uh, consumable because it's easy to say don't follow the peer pressure but it's also it's like that doesn't make that doesn't really deter me but mm-hmm. instead you get to see cat who's a living 
evidence of not uh, following peer pressure, and she's a pariah. It's not easy to do, but through her living her life, she's able to learn from her mistakes from the past and and grow, uh, and also still end up happy. Mm-hmm. So it's I think that is a really good theme to pick up on that. And, and it is something that goes beyond high school. It isn't just peer pressure doesn't end after 12th grade as much right. as it would be nice if it did. Yeah. And another one is people are definitely more than their first impression or more than they might seem on the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite quotes from the movie, Bianca starts um, comparing like to love. And she says, well, I like my Skechers, but I love my Prada backpack. <laughs> and um, immediately we're supposed to think that she's just this airhead who's conceited and is very Materialistic. material girl. Yes. Like, yeah. So, and she has no brains or whatever, but Cameron immediately falls in love with her without even talking to her and defends her. And um, we're all like the audience is supposed to think like, she's not worth pining after. Like, what are you doing, man? And we're thinking he's like blind in love and he is to a certain point. But at the same time, he's being a decent human by defend- defending someone who is defenseless. I mean, Bianca is not a part of that conversation. And I think everybody's guilty of talking about other people, but I think that's also just a beautiful thing that he steps in and covers for her. Um, Even if he does like her and he is like swayed by her looks or whatever, it is kind of a cool thing to see that he isn't um, falling completely for the whole, oh, well, Michael told me that she's this terrible person. So I'm just going to like believe what he says and not make a decision for myself. Um, and that's just one example. Like we get to see Kat and Patrick as well have the same exact thing. Like everybody thinks Patrick's the scary guy and Kat is this terrible girl. And we see like obviously how they um, come into themselves and show that they're worth more than just what all these high schoolers think of them, which is cool. Yeah. I, I, well, I want to play this quote from Bianca that yeah. is similar to the one that you just brought up. I know you can be overwhelmed and you can be underwhelmed. But can you ever just be whelmed? I think you can in Europe. Hi, ladies. And I think this quote kind of displays that Bianca is still naive. Bianca is still trying to figure out who she is, right? And in this situation where she has somebody who looks up to her and is just, you know, looking for guidance in interesting ways, she is just kind of doing what seems natural and um and i think everybody is doing that to a certain extent in high school and may i mean it is definitely giving cameron a lot of credit uh to say that he's able to see that and give her another opportunity i also think definitely have to heavily weigh the fact that he's like a horny little high school boy (laughs) who just fell in love with a pretty girl this is true but at the same time it's what he's doing uh in effect is still giving her the benefit of the doubt, yeah. despite her reputation, Besi- yeah. despite th- his first impression of her, which is heavily you know, painted by Michael's commentary. So yeah, yeah I do think that that is, and, and again, yeah, like you said, extends to all these different characters. We think of Patrick Verona as like this degenerate when we first see him. Kat is, uh, what did they call her? Like a heinous bitch, <laughs> there it is. And that is, it's, yeah. But w- as we get to know them throughout the movie, we come to find out who they really are. Right. And that is, yeah, that's really cool. And I think that's probably true of anybody you meet. Yeah, and I also think to your point about 
Bianca being naive and not really knowing who she is, she is still finding herself. She's still figuring out what... She's in 10th grade. Yeah, she's a sophomore <laughs> in high school. And we all like went through that. We all are still trying to figure out who we are. And we all change. Yes. And, and to have somebody label you or give you, you know a death sentence because of sure. who you are when you're 16 or however old you are in sophomore year Absolutely. in high school. Absolutely. And the people, and um, you know, we get to see the people of the high school who are, I, I think is a really interesting choice to kind of build these monoliths of the student body where we have all the different cliques mm-hmm. and there's people who very strictly adhere to the characteristics of their clique, yeah. which I don't think they're trying to say that that's really what happens in high school, but it is a fun and kind of whimsical way to build your backdrop of characters. Yeah. We're not going to get to know anybody in the cowboy clique. Yeah. <laughs> but we are going to get him saying like, yeehaw, I liked your dancing, you know, kind of. And, and that's funny. Mm-hmm. But I think that builds as kind of a way to contrast that everything is not what it like appears upon first glance. Um, any of our characters has mm-hmm. the opportunity to have a lot more depth and be somebody completely different who from what we thought they were once we yeah. get to know them. So I do think that's really important. And sticking with the characters, I want to talk about some of the relationships in this movie. And I think that's one of the strongest things this movie brings across is yeah. building relationships between characters. So let's talk about them. Mm-hmm. I want to start with Mr. Stratford and his daughters. Just tell me, give me your thoughts on the relationship between those characters. So I love their father i think he's hilarious i think he's the most dad like dad out he's there so dad he has all of his you know nuances and his dad jokes and but you can also tell that he really loves his daughters he really cares for them and it might come across as you know very strict at first or maybe just wrong um, but i never hated him even when I was a kid and I was like, yeah, why doesn't he just let his daughters date? It wasn't <laughs> like, oh, he's the worst like dad ever. It was more like he loves them and that's his rule. But like, I don't agree with the rule. So well, I, I honestly now being older, mm-hmm. I am totally I think he's got right? the right like uh, his priorities are straight. Yeah. Of all the stakes in this movie, I think the like the most dire outcome would have been a uh, teen pregnancy for one of these two mm-hmm. uh, promising individuals. Yeah. And the so I was like, yeah, you're right. Although his execution is questionable for me because it's if your sister does it, it's fine. I was like, why wouldn't you just have a hard line and say neither of them can date forever? But then we wouldn't have a movie. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's fine for the sake of the film. Uh, but I do. I thought that the way he came across was strict, stern, relatable to real life parents. But you're right. He never crossed that line where you hated him. He yeah. always just seemed like a concerned parent. Yeah. And I think it's cool how their relationship grows throughout the movie because obviously they're just whiny little teenagers at first and they hate their dad because he's so strict and they definitely like show that to us and it doesn't ever feel like Kat or Bianca actually really dislike their father. They're just kind of like, I'm annoyed at this one rule, but I love my dad. And at the end, it's just really cool to see his arc and how he goes from, you know, protective, overreaching kind of parent to protective, loving and encouraging parent. Um, And I also think it's hilarious that when he has his heart to heart with Kat, he, of course, has to use a baseball analogy to get his point across. Yes. Um, (laughs) Again, a very dad like thing. So he doesn't lose his like charm, but 
he definitely does realize that raising children doesn't mean that you're you know in charge of their every move forever and obviously she's going to go to college cat is going to go to college you know maybe on the east coast very very far away and he's just got to be okay with that um and also realize that you know the past 18 years of their lives he's been raising them to try and be able to go off on their own and that's the point where every parent has to reach and we just get to see him reach it through the movie yeah and he's a single parent as yeah. well and he's a he's a working man he's busy so mm-hmm. uh it, you know it's it's the other th- part of that too is just he puts the time in the work into being there being a father although his beeper is so convenient for getting him out when he's <laughs> done with his scene oh it's perfectly timed yes um, but i also really liked that he brought in the belly yeah that was so funny <laughs> it reminds me of what my mom used to do because uh when my sister was a teenager, they used to watch, I think it was called 16 and Pregnant. I think that was the name of the show. I think it was on MTV. There's some reality TV show. I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't remember the name. That sounds right, I guess. Yeah. So the, <laughs> I mean, the show is about teenage pregnancy. Right. And it was a reality show that would just document their lives. And most of the time, it was how hard their lives were. Mm. And that was my mom's The Belly, where she's like, <laughs> this is what you could have if you get pregnant as a teenager so understand the consequences and um and i think that it's it's a funny thing but also like a serious thing and, and he's a good dad yeah for prioritizing that i think i think so too and i think it's important that you mention he is a single parent he has to play the role of both mom and dad in this relationship and the fact that he is an obstetrician probably helps. Oh, because that was he... funny too, because it's like all day long. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's so omnipresent in his mind that babies get born. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, as ironic and perfect as that is, it also does probably help him understand, you know, female anatomy and how women are. And not all single dads have that or get that or learn that. And um, even though, yeah, his, you know, way of, going about it maybe not the best um he still does you know get what they're going through um and i don't think the movie necessarily is saying this but it's something i believe so i'm just gonna this is my podcast so i'm gonna say it <laughs> but just you know a big part of being a dad is just being present and trying your best yes and that he's clearly doing that you definitely. know and we can appreciate that um for mr stratford so yeah. he definitely uh as like the lone really adult character in this movie he uh he holds his own and now let's move on to our next relationship i want to talk about the uh the budding bromance (laughs) in this movie i want to talk about michael and cameron so what did you think about their friendship uh so i want to talk a little bit about michael first and then cameron then talk about how they've intertwined and become bros i like that michael does try to conform at first because one of the first lines he says is like or the first scenes he's in is Cameron's like, oh, I'm glad you're not one of those audio video guys. And of course, one of his audio video buds comes up and tries to like ask him a question or tell him something. And Michael's like, yeah, I don't know who he is, like yeah. whatever. Um, Which, first of all, audio visual geeks. I'm, I'm literally one. That's now. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I like how he starts evolving and starts standing up for himself around Cameron to Cameron's face, especially when they're starting to get ready for, I think it's prom or maybe the par- it's for the party. And he's like, should I go tie or no tie? Like, stop being so self-involved for five seconds and yes. help me out. And it's like, he still feels validated saying this and not like he needs to, 
um, make Cameron like him at all times. Yeah. So I think it's cool that as they start becoming friends, they're able to be more real around each other. And I like Cameron because he's the new guy and he, you know, has this one goal and it's to get Bianca to date him. And it stops being as much about make her date me and more about I have some friends at the school and also this is kind of a fun thing that we're doing. And yes, I'm starting to like Bianca more, but because I'm spending time with her and his thought about her is less like I pine, I perish and more like she's a kind of cool girl. Like I like tutoring her. I like spending time with her. And um, I think that's good for Michael and Cameron because they both start mellowing out as they get to know each other. And this is their one like thing that they do together all day every day it's trying to get you know cat with patrick so that cameron can be with bianca it definitely establishes their bromance they would do anything for each other obviously michael being the brains of the whole establishment is like we're gonna go uh get joey to be our backer and it yeah. just kind of he's such a schemer and, yeah and that, it's so consistent throughout his character and I do want to make sure I qualify what I said earlier about his relationship with Mandela in that I just feel like they didn't develop Mandela well enough. I do think that Michael kind of earns the relationship on his end in the sense of like we get to see there's evidence as to why he would end up in a relationship because he is this kind of dorky guy throughout the movie who's trying to, you know, be attractive he at the party he's trying to talk and he's like, I I got a new Toyota or whatever. And he's like (laughs) his. He's trying to figure out the whole dating game and then the way that he is able to, I guess, solve it or, or, you know, find a girlfriend is by leaning into something dorky. And it's that this obsession with Shakespeare, that is a little bit more his speed and he's able to do that. And basically, he's able to solve his issue, not having a girlfriend by still being himself, doing something that is like along his lines of being dorky. So I think that's fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he also is such a constant schemer. And I love seeing him come up with these things and like try to pull strings here, Mm -hmm. try to come up with this little plan there. And um, a reason why I identify with Michael, not just for being audiovisual geek, is also because he is he was friends with a new guy. And I've been in many relationships. Some of my strongest friendships that I still have to this day are with the quote unquote new guy who shows up in town. Like I was raised in South Carolina, but it's wild how many of my close friends are from other states. Right. And um, I kind of see myself like maybe I'm not like the all encompassing Michael where every new kid is my best friend. Mm -hmm. But there are definitely a lot of different points in my life where I can point and say I was that guy's Michael. And uh, being that first friend when you first show up, I think is uh, potentially an important one. Mm -hmm. So I liked to see that portrayed um, in in the cinema and also just i have a lot of bromances as well so i identify with their their (laughs) tight friendship um okay so let's move on to bianca and cat sisters Mm -hmm. and um and i know you talked earlier about being a younger and an older sister Mm -hmm. so uh let's talk about their relationship yeah i love their relationship i think it's so true to form i think their sisterhood is exactly what it is in real life i think they did a good job of um putting in all the little nuances that make people sisters um it was really believable they had good on screen on screen chemistry um and i think it's fun that we were introduced to them as complete opposites like the very first scene was cat rolling up <laughs> with uh 
you know, her crazy fun song. Yes. <laughs> and the girls in the car next to her were just like her sister. Um, and then later we see her sister actually, you know, being kind of an airhead. I loved it though, because her like like dark vibes kind of like was it was like a black hole that sucked mm-hmm. in their good vibes. Like they're all like, yeah, having a great time together. <laughs> and then they look at her and they're like, sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that worked really well for me it did yeah and it we see their conflict because obviously their mom leave or had left before the you know uh, scenes of the movie take place and that obviously was an issue um bianca seemingly got over it quicker was wearing her mom's pearls and you know cat was angry about it and so we see these little conflicts happening and um like bianca trying to fit in and be the popular girl and not knowing why Kat is not trying to be exactly like Bianca, um, not realizing that there was a reason that Kat went from being popular to being who she is now. Um, they're just at different like places in their life and they don't like each other. It's difficult to like someone, especially when you're Kat and you've already been where Bianca's been. And she's kind of hating her old self, who is exactly what Bianca is now. And then Bianca seeing Kat not ever being in that spot and ever trying to please people and make people like her not to and mention not understanding that well not to mention that cat not being that is the thing that's holding bianca back exactly yeah and so it's it's so interesting to see them fighting this whole time and and most of the time we see them fighting is with their fault fa- like father present and so it's that family dynamic of just arguments and like not really discussions or conversations just kind of like catty fights um and it's it's kind of funny sometimes the way that they portray it like cat is like look at me look at me like trying to be bianca um but we do of course see them grow a lot closer together as sisters and one thing that i think does change bianca's perception of cat is going through her room which is so invasive but at the same time she learned a lot about her as things that she didn't know about her sister prior to trying to figure out how to get some man to date her um so that was kind of cool kind of you know again invasive but um we we definitely start to see like that turn and it is an interesting dynamic that bianca is not allowed to date until cat does so bianca now has to get to know cat in order to date um and we start seeing cat you know feeling bad for bianca and being, you know, having those sisterly instincts and being like, okay, I guess I'll go to the party, even though that's totally not her thing. That's not something she would do, like, of her own accord. Um, I do feel like that was kind of like she did want to go to the party, though, yeah. because she <laughs> wanted to see Patrick, and she was like, oh, I'm not going. Oh, you're going to force me to go? I guess I have to exactly. kind of thing. Um, but I also think that the... You know, the pinnacle scene of their relationship is when she reveals her past with, with Joey. Yeah. And I, I do, th- I found that pretty impactful because yeah. she is this whole time not, I don't think she's just not dating to protect her little sister, mm-hmm. but she definitely is aware of the path that she's heading down. And she's able to kind of protect her in the sense that she warns, she tells this story of what happened to her and um, like tells her how it affected her. Um, tells Cat tells Bianca how it affected Cat, mm-hmm. but then she's also able to kind of let her free and say, "Okay, fine, I will go to the prom." Um, and 
now you're on your own. I've Mm -hmm. given you my guidance, but you have to be your own person. And I think that shows a lot of respect that she has for her little sister, that she feels that she's mature enough to kind of be let off the leash like that. Yeah. And it it didn't come without a fight, right? Bianca did tell her, like, I'm my own person. I'm allowed to make my own choices. Um, But I think you're right. And, And that's another kind of personal anecdote me and my sisters were not very close when we were in high school, like middle school, high school. We were all around the same age, a little bit spread apart, going through different stages of life at different paces. And now that we've moved past that, like we're best friends. And I'm super thankful for that. But the reason we got there was being vulnerable vulnerable around each other and sharing, you know, past experiences or things that we've gone through and sharing our feelings around each other. And I think it's cool that they show us that, you know, even though Bianca and Kat might still be, you know, pretty different, they're able to love each other and understand each other because they do open up. And I think they put a lot of the movie puts a lot of emphasis on how important that is. Um, So it's definitely something we can take from it and move forward with in our own lives. Absolutely. Just like how, um, you know, people aren't who they first appear. This movie also can say that, like, just because you aren't close with your sibling right now doesn't mean you can't grow together. I think it's very normal mm-hmm. to be an uh, opposition with your siblings in your youth. Yeah. Um, but, you know, look no further than Kat and Bianca to uh, your potential stronger relationship in the future Mm -hmm. and speaking of relationships let's get into the (laughs) relationships proper let's talk first about cameron and bianca yeah so it's just kind of a sweet high school romance cameron's pining literally after bianca Um, he falls head over heels for her even though he doesn't know her and he knows that she's out of his league and is not allowed to date um but he does everything in his power to make her his girl. And there is something just sweet about that. Kind of like he could take it too far and it could be bad, but the movie portrays it in a way that it is acceptable and it's like Bianca appreciates it. Yeah, I think the key is that when he truly gets disrespected, he's willing to to give it up because he's not a... He's not a slave to her whims. Mm -hmm. As soon as he gets publicly rejected, he's like, wait, what am I doing this for? Mm -hmm. This isn't worth it. And uh, even though they continue after that, he at least expresses that to her. Mm -hmm. And I like how Bianca has an arc as well with this relationship. She starts off, you know, only having her eyes set on Joey. um, And she doesn't even notice Cameron. She doesn't even remember Cameron's name when he asks her out. Yeah, she does that like multiple times. (laughs) Calvin. Yeah, and it's like kind of cringe because you're like, Bianca, like you're so self-absorbed. And finally, you know, obviously at the party, they kind of lock eyes and Cameron's like, oh, I'm done. And Bianca's like, oh, no, what have I I done? Um, And finally, like realizes like he's very good to her. He's very sweet. And he's been there for her the entire time. Um, And like you said, he doesn't let her get away with not caring how she comes across to him, which I think, again, is important in their relationship because he even says, like, how can you be so selfish? And, or like, have you always been this selfish? And she says, yes. So she's kind of doing some self-discovery as well. And I think that they grow through, like, through their relationship, they become better people because of it. And I think that's really fun to watch. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's something like I feel like once they get to that point in the car where Cameron reveals how he feels and then uh, Bianca 
re- re- kind of realizes how bad of a person she is. Um, after that, it kind of is mainly smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. I-, I don't really buy the whole like, Cameron, why haven't you asked me to prom yet? I'm <laughs> like, he should have like, I-, I know they needed to keep Joey in the picture as like for, for more for the um, uh, plot just to keep things interesting for mm-hmm. the like, cause I, I consider this to be kind of the B plot romance. Yeah. Um, and they got it kind of to like a stasis, but they needed it to be a, still like not over yet because mm-hmm. Joey is still in the picture. But for the most part, um, I feel like once they got to that point, they were ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get to the real, I feel, I mean, obviously they're on the cover, but like the, the <laughs> a plot mm-hmm. for the romance which is Patrick and Kat. And um, I saved them for last because I think they're the most interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about them. Yeah, so I mean, talk about shooting down preconceived notions. They're the two most hated people <laughs> uh, in the school, seemingly. Well, uh, the ones that come with the most baggage, yeah. right? Everybody has an opinion about Patrick uh, Verona and Kat Stratford. Yeah. She's the heinous bitch, and he's like <laughs> former criminal, mm-hmm. uh, foreign kid who's got all these wild stories that turn yeah. out to be completely made up, but they're out there, right? Mm-hmm. So these two are really... First impressions are everything for these people because everyone just kind of thinks they know who they are. Yeah. And she's... Uh, totally against the status quo it's totally against fitting in and that causes a lot of backlash she tears down the prom posters and people are upset about it and you know she speaks out in english class because she has opinions uh you know she goes to the principal's office and so does patrick patrick verona goes to the principal's office and you know gets in trouble for just joking around with the lunch lady um so yeah, it's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I guess that's one way to put it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> which is another like juvenile kind yeah. of like, "Ow, my balls." Yeah. Kind of and there were a lot more of those moments at the beginning of which, the movie. To be fair, uh, that is what high school is like though. Yeah. I feel like yeah, it was uh made it seem like actual high school. Um but yeah, so their their relationship is so interesting because obviously it's it's um forced on at least Patrick's side at the beginning. He takes money to go out on dates with her, which is... He quits smoking. Yeah. He pretends to be interested in these bands. Mm -hmm. All these things that aren't really him, Mm -hmm. um, which I do think is interesting that they didn't like really go back to the smoking thing. So I feel like that'd be pretty tough to quit because he was smoking a lot. He was smoking in gym class. Yeah, but then he also, he was smoking on her front porch when he was asking her to prom. And right. that was another reason Kat was getting upset with him. Yeah, the facade was kind of uh, falling apart. It was fading apart. right yeah. in front of her eyes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe he did quit after that for sure. But Well, he- I don't know. My cynical take on this movie is that she moves to the East Coast and Patrick doesn't. <laughs> And that's the end of the relationship, the <laughs> especially in the you know early two thousands mm-hmm. where it wasn't as easy to communicate, yeah, long distance. So, um, but that's not important. That doesn't happen in the movie <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but no, I, I think that is the, really what makes this uh, relationship compelling. Is yeah. it, it's become it begins on such bad terms it begins mm-hmm. on patrick being paid to do something uh, to be in this relationship but it turns into him wanting to be in a relationship anyways mm-hmm. but 
the money still being there and complicating right. things. And it's interesting too because Kat is so much her own person and wants everybody to know it. And Patrick is doing everything he can to not be his own person so that Kat will like him. Right. So that whole dynamic is so interesting because they end up lo- loving each other and Patrick does end up falling for Kat. And it is, it's like you think you need to change, but you don't. And also some outside factor doesn't necessarily have to play a part. Uh, so it's it's cool to see how like there are definite moments in the movie where you see Patrick liking Kat. Like when he's watching her dance and he has a genuine smile on his face. Like he's not just there because of the money at that point. He's like, wow, she looks really good. And then he goes and sits at the bar and, you know, flirts with her. And it seems very genuine the whole time. and. He obviously tells Joey, like, I don't want to do the money anymore. Like, I don't want to. And then it's just a lot of money. So he's got to say yes, you know. So. And also, I think there was a part of him that thinks, like, I can have it all. I can have the girl and $300. Mm -hmm. I'm just not going to tell her. And I do think that the way they resolved that with the guitar purchase was perfect. Yeah. Because it proves what he, he's like, no, I, the money didn't matter to me. I'm giving it up Mm -hmm. right now because I, I want to be with you. Mm -hmm. You're like, the money doesn't matter to me. And, you know, Kat gets a guitar out of it. So that's, that's nice too. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> and it, I, I guess actually that sh- is another thing, is that he believes in her and is investing in her, not That's just true. literally with money, but also saying, I know that you've been talking about starting a band. I saw you at the guitar shop. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Here is uh, you know, something that will help you achieve your goals. Yeah, he de- he. I definitely give props to him for not just being charming, but also like listening. And there's another scene at prom where he gets the singer to come down and play a song that cat loves. Yes. And it's like, Oh yeah. Nobody, nobody pays that much attention. Like he knows cat. He does. And I think that's just him continuously proving his feelings for her aside from the money, which is how I can be okay and like cope with the ending because it is true that they like each other. And I don't know. On the surface, it seems like, oh, well, he just got her a guitar to like make her like him again and, you know, be okay with dating. But like you say, it proves that he's investing in her and giving up all the money he earned and giving it like to her. Right. Like think about that same situation. If instead of a guitar, he just gave her 300 bucks. Right. (laughs) He's like, I don't care about the money so much. I want you to have it. He's like like, paying her to date him at that point. Exactly. (laughs) It's okay. This is weird. But instead Mm -hmm. he's like, this gift doesn't just mean that the money doesn't matter. The gift means that I know you. Yeah. And I, and I want you to be who you are. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. Not to mention that the, the poem, the, the titular poem is really i thought it was good i liked it and the 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 performance the the tears that cat conjures up in the middle of that was it felt real it was real because so julia styles that was the first take the take that is in the movie was the first take of that scene and the tears were unscripted and unintentional it actually was so moving that it made the director also start crying. Wow. So, it was, I mean, we're seeing raw emotion. And I think that also just speaks to Julia Stiles as an actress and how much chemistry she actually did have with Heath Ledger on set. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you wouldn't cry about that if you weren't close to, you know, your coworker. And I think that's, that's really cool. And I like that that's 
that happened. And, yeah, and it really felt sold that it. moment. Honestly, yeah. that for the, for me that that was like okay, I like this movie. Like yeah. it was like the final uh, like. I don't know, the, the final brick that builds the house that mm-hmm. shows that, yes, this was a whole, they had this thing all put together well. It really earns, that scene specifically earns the, like, its place as the namesake of the film. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought it all came together really well. I agree. And I think that that really ties into this next question I have for you because mm-hmm. some of the movie's most memorable scenes take place in Mr. Morgan's, the eccentric Mr. Morgan's <laughs> English class. Mm-hmm. What are we supposed to take away from these scenes? What was the point of having English class be such a central focus of this film? I think that we get to know Kat throughout the film, like as her as her own person um, in different scenes. But we always knew who she was when she was in English class. She was her raw, unfiltered self in this classroom. She had hot takes on men and society and literature. She didn't sugarcoat them. She was, you know very straightforward and to the point. She wasn't worried about the reaction, whether it was going no. to be people jeering her mm-hmm. or her getting sent to the principal's office. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and and it's fun too because we even see her growth within the classroom because at first she's very hostile about the way that she you know, delivers her opinions. Um, and then toward the end of the movie, one of my favorite scenes <laughs> is when she doesn't criticize Mr. Morgan's assignment and he's confused because <laughs> usually she has an opinion on everything and he just says, you know, out, get out of my yeah. class. And I think that's hilarious because he's <laughs> like, something is wrong. Like something has changed with this girl. And I think that speaks to the effect that Patrick has on her, you know, he, or even Bianca, like Kat is just becoming more of a like relational person and allowing herself to be heard and be seen. And she's becoming softer, you know, and Mr. Morgan sees that and is like, what is going on? And is confused by it. But yeah, I think it's cool that he is such a great character as well. He, you know, delivers on that eccentric, fun, like English teacher who also is opinionated and says what he thinks, you know, he's not, he's not very filtered, which is kind of funny. Um, and yeah, she's just, she's, she loves English and it's cool to see. Yeah. I thought I, I, I mean, that's the reason I asked this question is because these scenes kind of caught my eye it's, it's an interesting place to have a discussion in a classroom because you have a bunch of people who are present, whether they want to or not, who are able to kind of comment on what's going on. I mean, first of all, like I said, Mr. Morgan was like a wild man. He was rapping out the, the, the poems and also really like just verbally abusing his students. <laughs> but also we have the monoliths are all represented. They've all sent, there's a cowboy in the class. There's a couple of white Rastas. They've got everybody who is kind of, part of the school able to be there in one place and react to cat's honesty and cat's hot takes if you will and um and i do think that that honesty and that straightforwardness is consistent in each one of these classes and really comes home with the final reading of the poem where she's being as real as she can it's not just reading a poem it's not just finishing her homework it's really expressing herself and saying what she believes in and i, and I think that comes across early with her talking about the patriarchy and arguing with mr morgan about like oppression and i just and then finally one i think another thing that we've kind of been 
dancing around here is the fact that Shakespeare is very often studied in English classes, and this screenplay is a modernization of William Shakespeare's 16th century comedy, The Taming of the Shrew, but it's retold as an, a 1990s American high school uh, love story. So that leads me into my next question. Have you read The Taming of the Shrew, and how do you think the fact that it, this is based on a Shakespeare story, how do you feel like that impacted the movie? Um, no, I have not read Taming of the Shrew. I think I might have seen part of a movie that was specific to the play, um, but I don't really remember it that much. I, so. haven't, I haven't either. Yeah. Um, but like you do pick up on a lot of Shakespearean references throughout the entire film, which I thought was interesting. And Such that, as? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Padua is a city in Italy, and that's where the play The Taming of the Shrew is set. And Padua High School is where the movie is set. So okay. that's a direct, you know, nod to Shakespeare. Um, the Stratford sisters, uh, their last name is a nod to Shakespeare's hometown, which is Stratford-upon-Avon, or Avon. I don't really know how you say it. Um, Patrick Verona is in the movie. And Verona, if you've read Romeo and Juliet, is where um, that play is set. Uh, and then obviously one of our characters, Mandela, is obsessed with Shakespeare. So we see a lot of that. We also hear some direct quotes from The Taming of the Shrew. For example, Cameron says when he first sees Bianca, I burn, I pine, I perish. And that's a direct quote from wow. the play. Yeah. And I believe that Michael also refers to Cat as the Shrew. Yes, he does. At least once. Yes, in he movie. does. And it's interesting too because. I, I just read the Wikipedia summary of the story of The mm -hmm. Taming of the Shrew, and two of the characters are named Katerina and Bianca. Oh, perfect. So, it, which <laughs> I was like, those names are very interesting names, mm -hmm. and they were definitely lifted from the original text, which I think is very cool. I love when movies are able to be both a standalone thing mm -hmm. and also a reference to some historically like important uh, piece of culture. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I thought that was a nice homage yeah. to a uh, Shakespeare play. And yeah, I mean, you could say that it's with that included, maybe Mandela's uh, existence in this film is justified, is yeah. uh, but I still stand by my original take on her. So when, uh, when Michael is showing Cameron around the school, he introduces the different cliques, these monoliths I've been referring to. Mm -hmm. The basic, so here's the list. He says the basic beautiful people, coffee kids, white Rastas, cowboys, and future MBAs. He gets inter uh, interrupted before he can get to the rest of the cliques, but of the ones he listed, which one would you have been in in high school? <laughs> um, definitely future MBAs. I was kind of a nerd in high school. I definitely always needed to get you know straight A's and needed to be the smartest in the class. I loved when people asked me questions and I knew the answers. Um, but I did always wish that I could have been perceived as one of the basic beautiful people. And who knows, to some people, maybe I was. But uh, yeah, definitely future MBAs. Yeah, I don't think I would really fit well into any of these. I didn't drink coffee in yeah. high school, so <laughs> that wasn't me. And I definitely wasn't a future MBA. I, 
I think I'm going to add one on there just because it was an implied click, mm-hmm. which is the audiovisual geeks. Because yes. even though I didn't really get into podcasting that much until college, I definitely was into video editing in mm-hmm. high school. And I was always making video projects with my friends for class. Whenever <laughs> that was an option, we would always make a video. So I think that's where I would be. But I thought, again, we've kind of touched on it, but I thought it was so funny to have all these stereotypes mm-hmm. of the students that are just kind of lurking around the school like there's an obscene amount of uh, cowboys in this movie for seattle yeah so i i I loved that me too another thing i was that was interesting about this film is the gym class gym class was wild in the 90s (laughs) it seemed like they had like 12 different classes happening all at once Mm -hmm. what did you i mean was your gym class like that no my gym class was uh we first of all had also had uniforms i believe at least some of the groups did have to wear uniforms. Some of them, some of them were just but walking them around just, in normal clothes, not participating at all. Yeah, it was hard to figure <laughs> out who was there for what reason. But yeah, my high school, we had it in inside in the gym, and most of the time we started off by stretching or maybe doing some sort of uh, activity, learning, you know, pickleball or basketball. But most of the gym class was me and my friends just gossiping and talking her <laughs> while wa- while walking around the gym and laps. But this seems way more fun. I would have rather gone to this high school. I would have rather been, you know, part of the soccer club or whatever that was Cat was a part of. Um, yeah, it looked a lot like a lot archery more fun. is wild archery. To oh have my it. gosh! There's no way. I know that like back in the day they used to even do like rifle shooting yeah. at school and stuff. There is no way they would have bow and arrows in my gym class. Growing I know. Up. Too many deviants. We could hardly play dodgeball. Yeah. Well, I did know that. Um, when I was reading some articles about the movie, one thing that stuck out was the um, high school that they filmed at was a real, obviously, high school, and the stadium is what they were known for. So I'm sure all of these scenes were just paying homage to showcasing sure. that, you know, stadium of the school. Which the school is insane. It is first a cool of all, school. it's a castle. Like all that of the angles we get to see. Oh that my they gosh. dumped all of the flyers down. Yeah. Wow. That also talking about that. That was a great scene. Yes. I loved that. <laughs> It's actually hilarious, though, because there were so many people who were like, are you going to Bowie Lowenstein's party? Yeah. Everybody got asked that question except for Bowie Lowenstein. Yeah. Because he had no clue who was coming. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, how did he not even see one of those flyers? But Yeah, I also thought it was funny just because we were talking about gym class when they were doing like the driving range and having the kid out there with the basket catching, you know, the golf balls. First of all, how ridiculous. Second of all, when he hits the gym teacher and just like beats him up by kicking him with a golf ball and then later Bianca like shoots him with an arrow (laughs) (laughs) during archery class. Like, yeah, wild gym lesson here. Silly, whimsical gym class. Yeah, definitely. Um, So another thing, just kind of talking about it, was your prom anything like this prom? No, I, again, I wish it was. My prom was at my high school in the cafeteria. We had a DJ. We didn't have a live band. And it took forever for anybody to start dancing. And finally, when they did, it was just like grinding. Yeah. And not like actually dancing. And it was, it wasn't that fun. Yeah. I was sweaty for no reason. And afterwards was awkward. And it was just. Yeah, I went with a guy who I was friend like just strictly friends with, and he's great, but he definitely liked me more than I liked him. So uh, definitely not a cat and 
Patrick or Bianca and Cameron situation. Well, it sounds like he at least didn't have to be paid to go to prom with That's you, correct. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My prom is not like this. I wish that my prom had live music. That would have yeah, been awesome. Agreed. And it's funny to talk about like kind of what the culture was like. Maybe it's still like this. I mean, I don't know what prom is like anymore, but right. uh, it was definitely a lot of grinding at, at my prom. Like, it was basically just a huge mob of kids all pushed up against each other, getting all sweaty. Yeah. Which, you know, when I was in high school, I was, I was like, this is what dancing is. But <laughs> although I will say, not really when I was a senior, but a couple years before that, more like when I was a freshman and a sophomore, jerking was big. The Dougie was yeah. big. Uh, like there were a few dances that actually were real like dance moves that you had to learn. Mm -hmm. And it was fun to learn them and then go to the dance and kind of you know, show, show, them, show them off yeah. and, and see the other people who could do them too. That was a lot of fun. Not really something that happened at my prom, though. I would have, again, it would have been awesome to have live music. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, those are all my questions for you about 10 things I hate about you. Do you have any questions for me? Yeah. So um, the first thing is kind of the main thing. The title of the movie is 10 Things I Hate About You, but Kat's poem or her sonnet has more than 10 things that she hates about Patrick. And I can go through them now if you want, okay? Sure. So, I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate you so much it makes me sick. It even makes me rhyme. I hate it. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I hate it when you make me laugh and even worse when you make me cry. I hate it when you're not around and the fact that you didn't call, but mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close, not even a little bit, not even at all. I got 13. Right, but I heard three I hate you's with ands in the sentence. So even though they're two individual I hate you's, I think you combine those to make them one I hate you statement or hate the whatever ah, statement. So like I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. That's one thing I hate about you. That is... That's cheating, though. Cheating. Like, you're, you're so right. Cheating. It's like, the combat boots have nothing to do with the mind reading. Yeah. Right? But I think that if you were to list out each sentence, mm -hmm. you'd have 10 I hate you sentences. Okay. Well, that's fair. I mean... Obviously, that's very perceptive of you to pick that up, though, because I definitely thought it was just... I, I thought she promised 10, and I mm -hmm. thought I heard 10. Yeah. I think I, I've seen this movie so many times that I was trying to pick up on things that I hadn't, you know, before, like watching this movie with a little bit more of a perceptive eye. And that was, I was like, this is kind of a long thing. Let me like pull it up and like read it. Um, okay, so that makes sense. Um, but the other thing is, so you wanted more of Mandela. I wanted more of Patrick's one friend. Yes. He was in like three <laughs> classes with him. And everybody kept saying Patrick Verona has no friends. And Patrick Verona is a scary dude. Obviously, that one other scary dude really liked Patrick. But we don't see him at yeah. all. We don't even know his name. I bet that guy is just like Patrick and Kat in the sense that if you got to know him, you'd really like him. Yeah. Because I don't think Patrick has friends that are shitty people. Mm -hmm. I think Patrick is a cool guy. And his friend is probably a cool guy. Yeah. Although... Patrick does seem like kind of the type of dude who like once he gets a girlfriend, he stops hanging out with his other friends. <laughs> We've all had that friend in our friend group. So That's maybe fair. we found a flaw with Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> Just the one though. He's pretty perfect. He's such a dreamy love boat. <laughs> He's so charismatic movie. and just, so charming. Like yeah. that's the best word for him. Like obviously, yeah, it's, it's the one thing where it's like, 
I understand that Cat wouldn't be interested in yeah. him, but it would make sense that there would be other women or other girls fawning over him because yeah. he's such a dreamy guy. And he's funny. Like when Michael and Cameron, this is like one of my other favorite things of the movie, when they come up to him at that bar and they're like, well, also here's another thing. Cat likes pretty guys. And he's like, are you saying I'm not a pretty guy? <laughs> and it's just so funny because also he is. Like he, he is a pretty is. guy. I was thinking when they said that, I was like, oh no, are they going to have him do like a makeover? Because he already is such a hunk. Yeah. And I'm glad that they did that because it was mm-hmm. kind of uh, uh, unexpected for him to be just like, I'm already that. Yeah, definitely. Um, the only other question I had, which I don't know, this might just be up for interpretation is when Patrick and Kat are in the car, um, it's right before Kat tries to kiss Patrick. And I think this is the sentence that makes her feel like wanting to kiss him. Uh, He goes, I know everyone digs your sister, but she's without. And I don't really know what that means. Like, does he mean she's without what you have? She's without that thing. She's without like, what you know that's a good question i don't know because that line also confused me yeah i chalked it up to 90s jargon okay because they also had some other things where it's like she's whacked out yeah who says whacked that's fair and i don't know if this is legit because maybe there's supposed to be some uh, you're supposed to complete that sentence yourself or maybe it's some sort of artistic choice but i also think it could have been a late 90s thing to be like everyone thinks she's the best but i think she's without Mm, okay so that's that's my that's answer fair. for it. I don't know if that's that's the correct answer, but no, that's fine. Um, so um, a couple other things I just wanted to comment on. One is that I I also want I I I should have brought this up earlier when we were talking about first impressions. But I'm kind of a Joey Donner apologist because everybody it like definitely does hate Joey Donner and like has issues with him that are warranted. But he's also in high school, yeah. And there's a lot more to Joey's life. I think this will be a valuable night for Joey to learn Mm -hmm. that he can't be such a bad person. And hopefully there's like, uh, maybe we could have a spinoff movie, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 10 poses I love that you do, (laughs) which is the story of Joey Donner going to college and becoming a better person. And then his girlfriend, who obviously loves models, uh, learning to appreciate him or something Mm -hmm. like that. I think that Everybody in this movie is more than meets the eye, including Joey. He's a bad guy, no doubt. But he also clearly has a passion and is clearly just a young man who's still learning how to be himself. Mm -hmm. So I think that if we really are going to learn the lessons of this film, we Mm -hmm. also have to give Joey the benefit of the doubt that he can grow. I definitely think that's a, a good take i think if everything that we talked about earlier was true about how high school was different difficult for everybody and people weren't their full form yet then that also has to apply to joey and i think you're right he probably did learn his lesson at prom and i think the other thing about him is as annoying and kind of just like self-centered as he was he wasn't a true villain in that he did anything wrong to any one of the characters except for maybe cat yeah, and then also the implication, if we're to believe chastity, is that he was going to have sex with Bianca on prom yeah. night. Whether, I mean, I don't know if that would have, yeah. So that that mm-hmm. was also kind of shown as a bad thing. Yeah. His intentions, at right. least, weren't always great. So, yeah, I'm pro Joey. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that's something the my podcast co-host joey and i talk about is we try to like hunks get a bad rap yeah in a lot of popular culture they're easy to, to prop up as like they have everything already mm-hmm. so them wanting more is 
bad. Yeah. And um, so, so we're out there fighting the good fight for the for the <laughs> hunks. But uh, but in a, on a more serious note, I want to go back to talking about the camera angles of this movie because I thought they were really dynamic and two yes. different types of shots really stood out to me. So there was one where the shot that were two different events that were seamlessly blended together by not cutting where the camera would linger until the next action starts. And an example of that is when um, after the prom, Kat is sitting on the balcony or on the, the porch, basically. She's sitting on the railing and uh, she has a discussion with Bianca and they kind of reconcile their differences and their their arc kind of comes to a close and Bianca walks off with Cameron and the way that the camera, the camera kind of backs up away from Kat with Bianca and Cameron walking towards the camera and then Bianca and camera, Cameron walk off screen and the camera stays long enough for Mr. Stratford to enter into the scene from the left side and the camera then closes back in on the two of them and uh, the scene continues yeah. and I was like, that is so cool i love when that happens because it makes you really feel present in that scene to not always be cutting away from things a lot mm-hmm. of times you don't think about the editing but like it's if you do good editing then it just kind of happens but i felt like that came together really well and they did it a lot of times there's a lot of examples of that so that's the one that's one of the techniques that i really loved the other one was having a scene that plays out in the foreground while another scene plays out in the background and this happens a lot one example is when Patrick is first trying to get Kat to go out with him when she's leaving soccer practice. And you a lot like that scene begins with the camera following the two of them, but then it cuts to a shot where that is continuing to happen in the background while Michael and Cameron are sitting in the bleachers and they're watching it and they talk to each other. Then they look back and the scene continues without cutting away in the background and then comes back to Michael and Cameron to continue their conversation. Very cool. And and there's so many examples of this, uh, that, that kind of thing specifically, where it's like something is up in the foreground and something's in the background, and both of them get to have their time without cutting away. I thought that was very, very cool. And, um, and finally, one last film technique that I thought was really cool, which only happens once, and it's part of why I like Miss Perky, was when she is thinking through what she wants to write, the way that the camera is both changing its depth of field and zooming in at the same time which creates this kind of like warping sensation where you feel like you're zooming and going away at the same time and it it it's done masterfully with what's going on which is her thinking and it, the the motion of the camera stops when mm-hmm. she gets distracted when she can't think of the next word and i thought that was just really well done mm-hmm. i was surprised cuz rom-coms have the not the tendency, but like there's a danger of being cookie cutter with your rom-com yeah. and being lazy with the cinematography. That is something that 10 Things I Hate About You does not have. Yeah. It is not lazy with the cinematography. It's very intentional. It's very creative. And it's just great to look at. Yeah. I have a few that I want to point out as well, just because I'm not as like keen on seeing cinematography, but it still was something that did stand out to me. Um, the very first scene when they're having the music play and they, you know, kind of move the camera down in front of the 
girl's car and you realize that that's the music that's coming out of yes. the car radio i think that is seamless i think that works really well and it's kind of like jarring because you're like oh wait they're listening to this music in the car and i just think that's cool that's so cool and that was a long take i mean that's another yeah. thing that this movie features prominently and in, in kind of in conjunction with the techniques i was talking about is these really long takes mm-hmm. where the camera begins somewhere and then ends up even very very close sometimes yeah. to the other characters where you start thinking wow how did they time that up so perfectly yeah uh, this is like, uh, you know, it's it's just, yeah, it's great directing. It's great cinematography. Mm-hmm. And the other one that I wanted to point out was when Patrick is going into Club Skunk. So he's walking down yes. that long hallway and we get to like basically see Patrick's perspective and you see how all of the girls are kind of looking at him and it's obvious that he's not supposed to be there. Um, and another random thing that I noticed was almost every single girl had was wearing black. And I don't know if that was like an homage to club skunk as the name but it was definitely something that stuck out to me i was like they're all wearing like the same thing i'm so glad you brought that up because that scene was really cool and Mm -hmm. it's it achieves the kind of the essence of club skunk without having to tell you anything yeah the only thing we like hear about club skunk is that patrick can't be seen there Mm -hmm. and we don't know why no and we get to and and um this is like you can there's plenty of good narration and stuff in film but in general i prefer for a movie to show me yes instead of telling me mm-hmm. and club skunk is such a great example of letting you draw your own conclusions based on what it essentially is just a really long take mm-hmm. so i that's that's really cool yeah i appreciated that, that one okay well i think that is going to bring us to the end of our overall section so we're going to take a quick break but don't go away because when we come back we're going to talk about our cool easter eggs and our quotable moments as well as our ratings for 10 things i hate about you we'll be right back hi this is Arnold schwarzenegger this is dj jones nose tackle for the san francisco 49ers this is squilliam fancy son from band class and you're listening to affable chat my favorite podcast Good day. I'm an Australian wildlife expert. When I'm out in the outback, I love listening to Affable Chat. It's the best podcast ever. Even the animals love it too. This is Corey Novotny. This is Donnie Dolphin. Oh, it's me, Daddy Zuko from Greece. This is Ghislaine Maxwell, and you're listening to Affable Chat. And we're back with Liesel talking about 10 things I hate about you. We're going to talk about our cool Easter eggs now. Liesl, what do you got? So a few of the credits and at the very beginning when they list all the cast members, um, one of the cast members' name is Daryl Chill Mitchell, and I just thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also at the end of the, with the credits, you know how they give the characters names? Yes. Uh, well, some examples are Crying Loser, Screaming Loser, Wimpy Loser, <laughs> Drunken Girl, and Kissing Guy. Oh, yes. Kissing Guy got <laughs> an inordinate amount of time in the spotlight. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it, was, uh, it was really funny just to see those like as it was scrolling. Because yeah, you were yeah. watching the band perform and the, hearing the music play, and it was just kind of like, you know, normal normal credit scene and then it just caught my eye and i was like wait oh <laughs> they're all named crazy things yeah and the uh the, the academy award for best supporting actor goes to you know brian jennings for wimpy loser <laughs> in <laughs> 10 things i hate about you <laughs> right yeah and another thing with the um credits is they put joseph gordon levitt's name 
they have the hyphen in the wrong spot. So it's Joseph hyphen Gordon Levitt <laughs> instead of Joseph Gordon hyphen Levitt, wow. which is another thing that just the credits was funny. Yeah, who? I mean, this two-bit actor, no one's heard of him. Who cares? And he's not going to be a big name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, with the end credit scene, so the band is jamming out on the roof, yes. and it's a really cool angle, and it's an awesome shot. And apparently, the crew didn't actually have permission from Disney to shoot the scene. It wasn't in the budget, and they didn't have permission to even get on the roof. Uh, even though both of those things were very much told to the director, he shot it anyway. And it's iconic, and obviously, people still love it. So they, yeah. they got away with it. <laughs> and that band is called Letters of Cleo, mm -hmm. and they like had such a heavy, important role in this film, which I thought was it's just cool to do something like that. I don't know if like who is responsible for that, but to be able to make that conscious decision and be like, this movie heavily uses music and to be able to pull in the actual band to get them to be in the movie multiple times is really cool. Mm -hmm. And talking about that final shot too, I just thought it was almost like a triumphant yes. like ending to be like, we did it, mm -hmm. look at us. We're put, we got the band on the roof, and it's like th th there's definitely a, a a heavy dose of whimsy in this movie where yeah. it doesn't have to be super realistic the whole time, and uh, like that's the point. It's like, look, now the band's on the roof, and we're gonna do this cool shot that circles them. All of that really brought it home. Yeah, the only other Easter egg I had was when Cat, you know, gets. Patrick out of detention there is a scene or a, a shot where you see the detention sign-in list yes and all of the names on there are nods to the film's crew so I, I think that's cool yeah definitely and that's one of the things that is really cool about cinema is about filmmaking really is that it's such a collaborative effort yeah you don't just have a movie that's good because you have a director who's good you don't have a movie that's good because you have a good actor right everybody has to pull their way it's a complete team effort which is it's really cool it's why they're so expensive yeah but it's also just one of the most collaborative art forms around and i i as a person who values collaboration uh, really enjoy seeing that. So good for them to mm -hmm. get their little thing in in the movie. Yeah. Um, I have an Easter egg and it's really just like drilling down into one aspect of this movie. So there's a scene earlier in the film where Kat is shown reading The Bell Jar, which is a book by Sylvia Plath. I haven't read it, but I was interested to see maybe what the point was because it was prominently displayed that she was reading this book and here's a little like a little summary of it it's uh, it was initially celebrated for its dry self-deprecation and ruthless honesty but the bell jar is now read as a damning critique of 1950s social politics plath made clear connections between uh her characters donning awareness of the limited female roles available to her and her increasing sense of isolation and paranoia and this goes with the scene that preceded her reading this book which was english class where they were talking about the patriarchy and kind of the oppression that women uh suffer through so um honestly i don't think that that is an overarching theme in this movie it's just good detail i yeah. guess to have her be shown reading that book after making points like that kind of shows where she gets it right okay so those are our cool easter eggs let's move on to our quotable moments and here is our first one have you ever considered a new look i mean seriously you could have some definite potential buried under all this hostility i'm not hostile i'm annoyed why don't you try being nice people wouldn't know what to think you forget i don't care what people think yes you do no, I don't. 
You don't always have to be who they want you to be, you know. I happen to like being adored. Thank you. Yeah, I love this quote. I think um, this is another just drilling in Bianca and Kat's, you know, differences as sisters because Bianca is like, Kat, you could be so beautiful. Like we could, you know, pull out your your full potential um, if you just tried a little bit. And Kat's like, you forget that I don't care what people think. And I don't think Bianca truly understands what that even means and specifically what it means for Kat. She can't wrap her mind around not wanting to be adored. It's exactly what she said um, to Kat as in a response. And I think it's also just funny because Bianca is so like caught up in being beautiful and people liking her that she doesn't really comprehend exactly what Kat is trying to get across. Um, and we get to see that, you know, uh, in the movie later, um, expand upon that. But I like that Kat says, to Bianca, you don't always have to be who they want you to be, you know? Um, that's one of Kat's first, like, almost sisterly advice, you know, scenes. It's her actually caring about Bianca, trying to give her a tidbit of, you know, something that has helped Kat become her own person. Um, and it's just cool to see that Kat was able to encapsulate, you know, all of her feelings in that one sentence. So that really stuck out to me about this this scene. Yeah, and it's another scene where you, we have this kind of foreground background. Thing yeah. Where while they're having this conversation, we see Kat in the foreground and in the reflection of the mirror, Bianca. And it's always interesting. You can almost always apply meaning to scenes with mirrors in movies, whether yeah. the meaning is there or not. But in this case, I think it's pretty easy to show them as kind of opposites. Mm -hmm. You know, you see Bianca as the inverse of Kat in this scene because she's the reflection in the mirror. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I liked it. Okay, here's our next quote. So uh, have you heard about Bogie Lowenstein's party? Yes. And I really, really, really want to go. But you know I can't. Not unless my sister does. Yeah, I know, I'm working on that. But so far, she's, you know, she's not going for my guy. Um, she's not a... Katie Lang fan? No. I found a picture of Jared Leto in a drawer once, so I'm pretty sure she's not harboring same-sex tendencies. Okay, so that's the kind of guy she likes, like, pretty guys. So I think this is, like, hilarious that specifically the celebrity that Kat is into is Jared Leto. And in this movie, she's dating Heath Ledger. She, like Cameron says, oh, she's into pretty guys? No, Cameron. She's into the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. I didn't even pick That's up on exactly that. exactly who she's into. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. I, I, I don't really have any actual analysis for that. I just, I mean, I do. It's that Kat is in love with the Joker. So that's that's what that means. Okay, our uh, our next quote. What? It's off. Okay, the whole thing's off. What are you talking about? She never wanted me. She wanted Joey the whole time. Cameron, do you like the girl? Yeah. Yeah, and is she worth all this trouble? <laughs> well, I thought she was, but you know, well, I. Well, she is or she isn't. See, first of all, Joey is not half the man you are. Secondly, don't let anyone ever make you feel like you don't deserve what you want. Go for it. Yeah, so this quote obviously showcases Patrick's relationship with Cameron, and we don't see it evolve as much as obviously Cameron's and Michael's or um, Cameron's and Bianca's, but I think it's important to note that 
these characters are so intertwined. And it also shows that Patrick is such a good guy. He is being kind of like the brother, like older brother figure to Cameron and giving him like a pep talk when he needs it most. It also shows that Patrick isn't in it for the money or for the thing. He's like, you can't call this off because I'm I'm calling the shots now. Like, I like Kat. Uh, he's literally carrying Kat around as she's drunk. You know, he's and taking care of possibly concussed. Possibly concussed. I know. He won't let her go to sleep. He's being, yeah, he's being very caring on both fronts, like with Kat and with Cameron. And it is just sweet to see that. He is so level-headed and is able to give this really good advice to Cameron, who is kind of in the same situation that he is. He is in with um, one of the Stratford sisters. So it's it's a cool moment that they get to share. Yeah, and talk about good advice concisely. Mm-hmm. He's like, <laughs> he just smacks some sense into Cameron, basically, mm-hmm. because he doesn't have time to sit there and have a whole talk with him. He's got to take care of Kat. And um, I don't know. This is just another example of of him being, of Patrick being just dreamy, yes. all around great guy in this movie. For sure. Okay. And our last quote. So what's your excuse? For? For acting the way we did. I don't like to do what people expect. Why should I live up to other people's expectations instead of my own? So you're disappointed from the start, and then uh, you're covered, right? Something like that. Then you screwed up. How? You never disappointed me. Another example of how dreamy Patrick is, you know, putting it so concisely and saying, you never disappointed me. Like, oh, I love you. You know, it's so cute. Um, But what Kat says is so real. And again, it comes straight from like who she is. And he she's not sugarcoating it. You know, she says, why should I live up to other people's expectations instead of my own? And she really values, you know, her own thoughts and hopes and dreams above what society thinks she might should do what her dad thinks she should do what her sister thinks she should do and it kind of again is just like the pivotal point for their relationship too because he's finally starting to like peel back those layers and understand why she is the way she is that's exactly what he even asked her um also implying that there's a reason for the way they are and again that is what we've proven is true throughout this entire movie there's reasons people choose to do certain things and he wanted to know so he asked and um i also just think it's cute that they were paddle boating during this scene yeah um, <laughs> and well, we went paddle boating recently and we went paddle boating literally <laughs> last saturday and it was so funny because i was watching this scene and i was like freaking out and i wanted to immediately <laughs> talk to you about it but of course we had to wait to record the podcast to discuss it but yeah it was it was just a sweet scene and um again like memorable quote very like I don't know, middle school girl can write it on her wall kind of thing. Yeah, no, seriously. And Kat should be, at least in her kind of her worldview or her um, mantra, can definitely be something that someone who young girls can look up to as a role model for uh, being yourself and and not letting, because there's a lot of societal pressures out there for any young person but i think especially young girls uh and to have somebody to say yeah you don't have to do that be Mm -hmm. yourself um yeah i think that's really powerful yeah okay well 
That is going to bring us to the end of our conversation on 10 things I hate about you as we do at the end of every episode of Affable Chat. We will deliver our ratings. Liesl, what rating do you want to give to this movie? I'm going to give it a stadium-style serenade from a guy with a little green in his eyes. It's absolutely an iconic scene. <laughs> Heath Ledger dancing around on the concrete uh, stadium seats and getting chased by the cops. And another, I guess I kind of forgot about this Easter egg, but it is, it is actually Heath Ledger singing. Really? And showcasing off oh, his another talent that he has. Um, so yeah, I love that. Scene that song's as well. been stuck in my head ever since I saw the movie. Yeah. I love you, baby. <laughs> yeah, he did a great job. It's so cute. Um, well, I want to give this movie a rating. My rating is I give this movie two headshots of Joey Donner, one where he's wearing a white t-shirt and one where he's wearing a black t-shirt. <laughs> I think that's a very, that's high, that's a great thing that's to receive. That's a great receive. phrase, I'd yeah. love to have those. Yeah. So, um, so that is everything uh, for this episode, our conversation on 10 things I hate about you. Liesl, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for, for having episode. me. This was so much fun. I'm so glad we finally got to talk about it. Yes, it's a, it's a weight off of my chest. And mm -hmm. I'm just really glad to have seen this movie. I wouldn't have seen it without your recommendation. So I thank you awesome. for that as well. Yeah. Okay, and that is going to wrap up this episode. Coming up on Affable Chat, we are going to be talking about Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, we're going to have a guest for this episode, so make sure you check that out. Uh, but for now, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at AffableChat, or send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. Check us out on YouTube. Just search Affable Chat. We're the only one. And Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash affablechat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. Thanks for listening.